Good morning. You guys doing? Well, my uh, my dirt stories on Garrett can be bought for a price. So if anybody wants to, um, well, thanks for your hospitality. Uh, I've been my wife and I've been here to visit before. I've um, never been here to to teach. So so thank you, Garrett and Carrie, and the the staff and elders, and and for all of you all for for having us. Uh, we we truly appreciate being here with like minded folks and and. Uh, getting to study God's word together and worship together, so, so thank you. Um, I'd like to pray one more time, and then, uh, and then we'll, we'll jump into to the word together. Father, thanks for this morning. Thanks for just a time of worship. Um, God, I just pray that, that my heart would be as the, the psalmist who said, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. And, and so I pray that that would be uh, the case for me and for us. Um, God, I pray that you would um, guard me from error as I teach. If there's anything that I say that is, is, is not of you, that it would be quickly forgotten. And I pray that we would latch on and, and drink deeply of, of the truth that is, uh, is, is spoken from your word here this morning. So we, we thank you for this time again, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, whenever Garrett mentioned that uh, we went to Dallas Seminary uh, together around the same time, and, and uh, a funny thing would happen at the beginning of each semester. Um, you would uh, we had we had chapel services, and you had to meet a certain requirement of chapel. So there's a chapel every day, and we had something like 20 chapels we had to go to. So, yeah, you're in trouble. I'm telling you didn't go to all your chapels, um, but we had a certain number of chapels that we had to meet uh, to uh, the, throughout the course of the year. Now. Sad to say this is what would happen, but, but you know, if I only had 10 to meet in that semester, they would give us the, the chapel lineup at the beginning of the, of, the, of the semester, and all the students would do the exact same thing. Like, I'm looking for all the big, na- you know, big name pastors and all the famous guys that are coming in, and I'm, I'm checking off which ones I'm going to go to. I've never heard of that guy. I don't want to hear him. And I'm, I'm kind of picking and choosing what I'm going to go to. And, and so everybody would do that, and, and buried in there each semester was, was what was called a, a praise chapel and, and a prayer chapel. Uh, that were that were buried in there amongst all these speakers, and, and so uh, again, unfortunately, uh, because if, if you weren't at chapel, you're usually in the library cramming for a test or studying. That the prayer chapel and the praise chapels were usually the the, the less attended. Of uh, let's just say, if, if 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 you went in there, everybody could lay down in your own row and sleep if you wanted to. I mean, it was just it was sometimes a ghost town in the the prayer and praise chapels at, at seminary. But this one semester, I remember getting my, my lineup at the beginning of the year and looking at it and, and being uh, intrigued by the fact that it said Praise Chapel with Shane and Shane. I don't know if you know Shane and Shane are a famous Christian music duo, and, and uh, you're probably thinking exactly what I was thinking. There wouldn't be any laying down in the pews during Shane and Shane. It was going to be a packed house. It was going to be standing room only. It was going to be a concert. Uh, there at Dallas Seminary during the praise chapel, and, and so sure enough, you would see on the day of the Shane and Shane Chapel, you saw a steady line of people moving across campus early. Everybody's getting in there; it's packed, just like I thought, standing room only. The guy behind me brought his family. It was like everybody was bringing all these people in. Churches were probably promoting it. You just had all of these people in there for the Shane and Shane Chapel. Well, five minutes before Shane and Shane were supposed to be on uh, for our chapel praise chapel. Uh, the, the chaplain comes out and he says, folks, I, I regret to inform you that, that uh, there, there's been a, a, something happened and Shane and Shane can't make it today. And I, I, was, I was just cracking up inside. That was so hilarious to me. But, but around me, you should have heard what I heard at Dallas Seminary Praise Chapel. 
Are you kidding me? Was this a joke? Shane and Shane can't do I mean, you just hear people murmuring around. A couple people got up and left. And then, uh, you know, we're, instead we're going to have Joe Piano get up here. So Joe gets up and Joe plays some songs on the piano. And, and here we are all packed into Dallas Seminary Chapel singing these songs. And, and I couldn't help but sit there and think, you know, I, I don't know what's, what's going on in everybody's heart. But I'm willing to bet that, that the words that everybody's singing right now is not lining up with the condition of our hearts and the murmuring that I just heard going on. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like the confession of your lips doesn't match with the condition of your heart? Have you ever uh, felt like what you were living in your life doesn't really match what you say you believe as a Christian? There's often this struggle of going through the motions of Christianity, uh, which is what we just prayed, going through the motions of Christianity while not consistently living it out in our lives. And that's what I'm calling bad religion this morning. As, as uh, Garrett started last week, I believe, this problems in the prophets, and I'm just kind of jumping into that stream, carrying on, and then he's going to continue it the next couple weeks, problems in the prophets. And so we want to talk about the problem of bad religion. And if some of you are readers, uh, there's a New York Times bestseller, um, kind of stealing the title a little bit by Ross Douthat, who's a New York Times columnist, had a book called Bad Religion, and, and in it he makes the point, he says the, the, the right says that there's not enough religion in our country, the religious right, we need more religion, and people are trying to get rid of it. The left says, no, 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 you got, it's the opposite. You got too much religion, and we need to get rid of it. Douthat says, no, you're both wrong, and you're both right. We have bad religion. And so rival Christianities and rival beliefs have, have co-opted our faith because we're not living it out the way we're supposed to be. And, and so that's what happens when, I, when we talk about bad religion, when we're just going through the motions of Christianity while not uh, living it out in our hearts as well. And so we're going to talk about the need, and I'm going to say this over and over again, so this might be one you want to write down if you're taking notes, the need for our creed and our conduct to align in the midst of community. I'll say it again. The need for our creed, what what we say, what we believe, what we profess, our creed and our conduct, our lives, our creed and our conduct to align in the midst of community. When that doesn't happen, when our creed and conduct don't line up, when that doesn't happen, uh, we have bad religion. And so to approach this topic, as, as you've seen in your bulletin, and as Garrett mentioned, we're going to look at a prophet to the nation of Israel who had to deal with something very similar to what we're talking about right here. He was sent by God to deliver a message to people who had all the trappings of religion, but they didn't live it out consistently in their whole life. And so turn with me to the book of Amos chapter 5. The book of Amos chapter 5. In your, if you're using Pew Bible, that's in the 760s, which ironically was when Amos was written. Um, uh, in the 760s BC, so so right around 764. If you're using a pew Bible, if you're making your way there, it's easy to miss this guy. So if you get Psalms and Proverbs, keep going towards the New Testament, you'll see the these big prophets: Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Easy to hit those guys: uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then you have some smaller books: Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, and then Amos, or 760 in your pew Bible. We'll be in Amos chapter 5. And as we look at this passage, basically we're going to talk about three primary things. Uh, The problem of bad religion, number one, what is the problem of bad religion that we're talking about? Secondly, what is the pathway out of bad religion? 
So, so if we have a problem of bad religion, what is the pathway out of bad religion? And then finally, we'll consider some personal application at the end. So the problem of bad religion, the pathway out of bad religion, and some personal application at the end. Okay, so we're in Amos chapter 5, just to set the context for you a little bit before we get into this. Amos, and, and if you were in a, the, the, um, the seminar this morning, Garrett did an overview of the Old Testament. You have a little bit of this context in your mind a little bit. But Amos was a prophet sent by God before the exile. So in the Old Testament, the, the Israelites are exiled to Babylon. Amos was sent to the northern kingdom of Israel before that exile in about the 760s BC. And so as, as you walk through, let's do a little Bible overview right here to jump into what Garrett was doing. But you're walking through, you have three big main kings of Israel. Bible trivia time. Anybody know him? First main king of Israel, Saul. I heard Saul somewhere. And then after Saul, you have David. And after David, you have Solomon, right? So Saul, David, Solomon, as you're walking through this united kingdom that we have in the Old Testament. But then after Solomon, his sons split the kingdom. And so you have Jeroboam and Rehoboam who, who divide the kingdom. Now you have the northern kingdom of Israel, the southern kingdom of Judah. And then God is going to send some prophets to the north. He's going to send some prophets to the south. He's going to wipe them both out and then some, send some more prophets. And so the context of what we're looking at right here is Amos. God is sending him to the northern kingdom of Israel before they're destroyed by the Assyrians. The Assyrians are going to come and wipe them out. And so this is, uh, Amos is, is, a, uh, is not a professional prophet. He's not a, a pastor or anything. He's a layman. His name literally means burden bearer. So Amos is coming from God to Israel with a burden. He is a burden bearer from God, uh, and, and he's not called as a prophet. He's a layman. And so uh, there, there's a famous line in chapter 7 where Amos says, I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet. And so Amos, is, 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 you may have heard that one before, he's not the prophet nor the son of a prophet. He's actually, we see in chapter 1, verse 1, a sheep herder. So Amos is a shepherd, a sheep herder. And then we also see later in the book, uh, in chapter 7, that he is a grower of sycamore figs. And so, uh, which in Israel, if you've ever been, you have these sycamore figs, and the way that you make them grow correctly is you have to climb up the tree, and you have to poke a hole in the fig at just the right time so it'll grow properly. And so it was a great, if you wanted to be bivocational, you could climb up the tree, you're poking holes in figs all days while you're watching your sheep. And so that's how he was able to be up there poking these figs, watching his sheep. So that's what he did. That was his job. He was a fig poker and a sheep watcher. And so he's a layman, but God says, look... I have a message for you to go and give to the nation of Israel. And he even says at one point in the book, he says, uh, God has spoken, who can but prophesy? I don't care if I'm a prophet or not. I'm a fig poking sheep herder, but God has spoken, who can but prophesy? And that is the, the role that we see Amos have. All right, so that's our context. Amos chapter 5, verse 18. Amos chapter 5, starting in verse 18. One of the more, if you guys read ahead this week, as Gary was telling me he did this morning, uh, in the recent days uh, for this passage. This is one of the more shocking passages that you're going to see in your Old Testament. Watch this. Verse 18. Woe to you, this is God speaking through Amos, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. That interesting, woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? It is darkness and not light. So, so Israel is longing for the day, just as we were long, as Garrett prayed a little while ago, we long for the return of Christ. Come soon, Lord Jesus. They were longing for the day of the Lord, and, and, and God says, wait, woe to you who long for the day of the Lord. And he's speaking to Israel, his chosen people. Why would you do that? This is going to be a day of darkness and not a day of light. Verse 19, this, he describes it, this is a bad day right here. As if a man fled from a lion and a bear met him. Uh, or went into the house and leaned his hand against the wall, and a serpent bit him. Like, you can't escape this. 
You're running from a lion and a bear eats you. You're, you finally get home, you get away from the bear somehow, hand against the wall and a snake bites you. This, this is an inescapable day of judgment for you, is the day of the Lord. Why are you longing for that? Is what God is saying to them. Verse 20. Is not the day of the Lord darkness and not light? And gloom with no brightness in it. It gets worse. Get this. Verse 21. I hate, I despise your feasts. And I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Now question. Who was it that told them to do the feasts? It was God. Who was it that told them to hold the solemn assemblies? It was God. They were doing it, and God says, I hate it. I hate your, your, your festivals and your feasts. I hate your solemn assemblies. Even though, verse 22, even though you offer up to me burnt offerings and grain offerings. Again, who told them to do that? God told them to do that. Even though you offer up burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not look upon them. Take away from me the noise of your songs. To the melody of your harps, I will not listen. Isn't that amazing? Let's stop right there. So, so, so God looks at what they're doing, and, and as you look through that, they're, they're, they're longing for the return, uh, or for, for the, the, the end of all things. They're longing for the day of the Lord. They're longing for, or they, they're doing these festivals. They're doing these assemblies. They are offering up these offerings. They are singing hymns. They're doing all the things, and if you, you want to make that more modern, I mean, they're having church, right? They're having church. They're going on Sunday morning. They're doing it, and God looks at it and says, look, 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 I hate it. I reject it. I won't listen to it. Again, this is certainly one of the more shocking passages in the Old Testament, isn't it? I'll often introduce this passage to people by, by first, uh, especially teaching overseas. I'll, I'll say, why don't you guys just tell me, what, what kind of things do you do to grow in your relationship with God? You guys would probably give the same answers everybody does. Well, prayer, Bible study, fellowship, church, singing songs. It, I do those things to grow. And I say, what if God said he hated all of that? People say, nah, 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 God would never say that. Would he? And so that is exactly what he is saying to Israel right here. And again, it was God who told them to do all of those things. So here's the question. How did Israel end up in such a place where God despised the very things that they were doing, the things he told them to do? How did Israel end up in such a place where God despised the very things that he had instructed them to do? The very things that should have pleased him. God was not happy. Why not? For that, we need to glance back earlier in the book to get the context of why God was so uh, angry and upset at at, at what they were doing, quote-unquote, at church. And so keep your finger here in chapter 5. Turn back to chapter 2 for just a second. Keep your finger in chapter 5. Go back to chapter 2. And if you pick it up with me, at chapter 2, verse 6. Chapter 2, verse 6. Thus says the Lord, thus says Yahweh, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Because, here's why. This is why they're being punished. This is what they're doing. Because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Shoes are more important to them than people. Money is more important to them than people. Verse 7, those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. They lay themselves down beside every altar and on garments take and pledge. And in the house of their Lord, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. 
They are abusing their authority. They are abusing the the systems that God had taken in place. They are oppressing the poor. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Still with your finger there in chapter 5 where we started, but in chapter 4, verse 1. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan. There's a, you never, when God calls you a cow, it's never a good sign. He's not happy. So God, he says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan. Now, if you would look in, in uh, Psalm 22, Ezekiel 39, you would see that the cows of Bashan were well known as, as strong, fat, healthy cows. Right? So these were, these were the, the Texas steer. These were the longhorns. These were the, the big, man, give me a brisket off that sucker. I mean, these were the big, healthy, fat cows that, that, that existed at the time. And God says, you guys are cows of Bashan. Now, you might think, well, that's not too bad. Right? I, you know, that's, you know, we're strong, we're healthy. But get this, look, look why they were so strong and healthy. Hear this word, you cows of Bashan, who were on the mountain of Samaria, who oppressed the poor and crushed the needy. How'd they, how'd they get so fat and well-fed? Off the backs of other people. You're oppressing people. You're crushing people. That's why you're so healthy looking. And so, so he, he is saying you are, you are uh, abusing your, your position. You are oppressing people. Who say to your husbands, the second half of verse 4, who say to your husbands, bring that we may drink. The Lord God has sworn by his holiness that behold, the days are coming upon you when they shall take you away with hooks, even the last of you with fish hooks which is literally, we have art from this time period that actually have the Assyrians dragging them out by the nostrils by fish hooks. This is literally how they were drug out into, uh, into destruction. And so God says, this is coming. And the reason is because you guys are, are, are crushing people. You're selling the righteous for a pair of shoes. It's bloodshed. It's violence. And then finally in chapter 5, verse 10. Chapter 5, verse 10 says they hate him who reproves in the gate the gate was where the city council met this is where justice should have been served it was the court of their day there should have been justice here and god says israel hates the one who reproves in the gate israel hates the ones who speak the truth the net bible translation on this i like it says the israelites hate anyone who arbitrates at the city gate and the israelites despise anyone who speaks honestly and so they, they, they don't even like their justice. So they're not even pursuing that. Verse 11, Therefore, because you trample on the poor and you exact taxes of grain from him, you have built houses of hewn stone, but you shall not dwell in them. You have planted pleasant vineyards, but you shall not drink their wine. You guys get the point? <laughs> I, I think we, you see from chapter 2 to chapter 4 to chapter 5, I think we, we see by this point why exactly it is that God said what he did. The passage, and you can go back to chapter 5 where we started, chapter 5, verse 18. Do you see why God said that? They were longing for the day of the Lord. They were observing festivals and assemblies. They were presenting offerings. They were singing songs of worship. While at the same time, they were sinning and oppressing people and taking advantage of the needy and, and, and not loving God and not loving their neighbor like they should. Their, their creed and conduct, as we said at the beginning, their creed and conduct did not line up in the midst of their community. They had one thing that they did on Sunday, and they had something else they did Saturday through, through uh, uh, Monday through Saturday. I'm a week back. So they had, you live one way on Sunday, and then the rest of the week, you just do whatever in the world you want, whatever you can do to advance yourself and, and to promote yourself. So they were doing that, doing all this religious stuff, while at the same time doing all this garbage on the side, and so God looks at their worship service and says, you know what, I hate it. 
I reject it. I won't listen. I won't listen to your songs. They're noise. I don't want to look at your offerings. Now, now, lest we think, ah, it's just an Old Testament thing. God was a little cranky back then, and that's, you know, God won't do it. Lest we go there, uh, this isn't just something Israel struggled with. This is a theme throughout all eras. We even see this in the New Testament. Matthew 22, Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! You tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law. I mean, they would literally take their spices. They were so meticulous in their giving and obeying the law that they would take a little you know, mustard seed and tie the tenth of it and they'd take their mint and they would tie the tenth of it and they would, they would actually give a tenth of their, of their spices. That's how meticulous they were. And yet, Matthew 22 says, and yet you have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the other. He said, it's good, tithe, do that. Come to church, worship, sing songs, give, give your offerings. Do all of that stuff, Jesus says. But you should have done that without neglecting the heart of it, too. You, should, you can do this and still pursue righteousness, justice, and faithfulness. And so you should have done all of that. Uh, he says, you blind guides who strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. They were so worried about a gnat getting in their drinking water, they would literally strain out their water so that they wouldn't accidentally drink a gnat. And yet he says, you're swallowing a camel. You are just completely missing it. James chapter 1. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and yet does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. So, so you, you can do all the religious stuff. You can sing the songs and have your quiet times and come to church and, 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 do, all, and give up, do all those things. He says, but if, but if you're reckless with your tongue... And you're slandering and you're gossiping and you're, you're saying things you shouldn't. And you're talking about people and you're just being... You're, he says that religion is worthless, James says. He says, pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. So again, have you struggled with this? I have, guilty. Uh, struggled with, or maybe even struggling now. Does your creed and conduct, what you say and what you do, align in the midst of your community? Or does your Sunday self preach a different message than you the rest of the week? Listen, this was my story. Uh, For the first 18 years of my life, I lived a double life like this. Uh, I was the president of my high school's Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Um, I, I, and so I would uh, I was an athlete if I ever had an interview in our huge gigantic Wednesday only paper for our county uh, if they ever interviewed me I would give God a little shout out in there oh, God for all, all things are possible I think it's in the Bible um, and so I would always give this little God shout out and I said I was a Christian um, and, and, and I led the Lord's prayer before the football game. I mean, I did. All, so you'd look at me and be like, oh, that's a good kid. He might be a Christian. You know what else I was doing? I was also throwing the keg party after the football game. I was also hurting people and maiming people and breaking hearts and lying and deceiving and, and, and taking advantage of people and using other people to fill my own desires. I had never picked up a Bible in my life. I never read the I never, I mean, I'd probably pick one up. I'd never swat out a bug or something. I never, I never read the Bible. I never, I didn't, I could care less about church. President, Fellowship of Christian Athletes. Huge hypocrite. I was the one that, if you guys have ever said, man, I'd like Christianity, just all the hypocrites. That was me. I'm sorry. That, that's who I was. I, I even remember, and, and 
sometimes people are like, ah, you had to know that you were living. I, I had no clue. I was that stupid. I had no clue. In fact, this girl, uh, Garrett, a girl named Katie, I would always try to get her to come to FCA because it looked better on me if more people were there. She finally came one week and then, like, never came back. And I was on her. I was like, Katie, why aren't you coming back to FCA? Why aren't you coming back to FCA? I would, every week I was on her. Finally, she said, all right, Jason, you want to know why I don't come to FCA? I said, yeah, tell me. I'd love to know. She said, because it's just a bunch of hypocrites. And I said, I know, but I go anyway. Like, that's how, yeah, 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 I, yeah, I put up with them too. That's how deceived I was. That's how deluded I was. And, and so that, that was my life. Um, and, and around that time, two things happened for me. One, God used a non-Christian to rebuke me. And then God used another, who I thought was a non-Christian, to preach to me. And so first of all, it was a football coach who came to me one week, and, and he heard me telling my story from the weekend. And man, I went out with this girl, and I drank this much, and I went to this party. And he said, hey, Seville, was that before or after the FCA meeting? And I, for the first time in my life, I didn't have a snappy comeback. I was silent before God. And then, a little bit after that, God finally I started to develop a conscience. And then, then God brought somebody else uh, along to, to, to preach the gospel to me. And, and uh, um, so this was at the height of my non-Christian depravity. Someone told me that a friend of ours had become a Christian. Uh, but to me, it was an impossibility. No way. Absolutely not. For this guy to follow Jesus. I knew I wasn't a Christian, but that guy definitely wasn't a Christian. So I'll never forget the day that someone said, hey, did you hear that Garrett Kell became a Christian? I said, mm I said, no, 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 not even possible. Uh, I said, that, that is not even, that's not even, a, I didn't have a paradigm for that. And, and so Garrett called me up to my house, uh, me and some of my friends one week. And so that meant one thing, all-nighter party. And so we all rolled up there, and there was Garrett sitting on his couch with a Bible open in his lap ambush you know like he stuck he like trapped us in there and so and, and that was the first time that I ever heard of the love of Jesus and the patient Garrett said that God has been so patient with you just like he was with me and he's given you time to turn from your sins but you won't listen to him because you're stubborn Romans 2 the patience of God should lead you to repentance and Jesus died and rose again that if that if you repent of your sins and turn to him and and follow him that you can have life gosh I'd never heard that before I'm sure I'd heard it but I never really heard it and that was the first time. Now, so, so, so this, this was my story of having this double life of my conduct and my creed not aligning. Prior to God changing my heart, my, my creed and conduct were, were two separate things. They certainly didn't align in the midst of my community. I abused people. I used. I injured. I pursued my own pleasure. All the while claiming to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a shameful thing to look back on. And it's easy. You know what? Here's a, it's easy for me to tell you that story. It's easy for me to tell you that story because I didn't know Jesus then. I think you'll give me a pass. Right? They'll say, ah, that, yeah, we've all had that kind of stuff, and so you didn't know Jesus then, and, 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 and that, that, that's cool. You know what's harder for me to tell you? What's harder for me to tell you is that some of my most heinous sin has been after I became a believer. I was really converted. I was really a Christian, and I really struggled with some stuff. That's harder for me to, to, to say. <clears throat> and, and now the difference is I, I struggled with that sin. And now before I was a believer, I didn't struggle. I just did it. I didn't care. But, but I, I did struggle with that sin, and I had a hard time getting past those things that I, I knew I should not be doing these things, but I can't stop doing them. And I felt stuck in that. So listen, friends, I know, I know where some of you are at. I've had conversations with you. Because I've had conversations with myself, and I've had conversations in Memphis with people who are just like the folks here in this room. 
uh, brothers and sisters at, at my church. I have friends who are dying inside because their conduct and their creed are not aligned in the midst of their community. They continually do things that aren't consonant with their life in Christ. The examples abound. I was recently talking to some high school students who, who uh, are just living lives of deception. Uh, they're, they're cheating at school and they're justifying it. Well, everybody does it. I, even, I think the teacher even knows about it and they don't care. You know, like they're, they're ju- and, and so they, they, they're cheating, they're lying about, to their parents about where they're going and who they're going there with. I have another friend in the business world who recently confessed to me some questionable things that, that go on with him when he travels for his work. Uh, that the hotel lobby, wherever he travels, is a, is a big temptation for him and he knows it, but yet he, he is drawn there like a moth to the flame. And it's, it's killing him because his creed and his conduct aren't aligned. But that guy's there with me on Sunday singing the songs, just like I am. The same guy told me about his wife who has to dress or has concluded that she needs to dress a certain way in her profession to get a competitive advantage. Using her assets, he called it. Knows it's wrong. Can't stop doing it. Another friend of mine is married, but he played the dating game so long in the, when he was in the single life uh, that he still gets a thrill out of the chase. And so this makes him a little more outgoing, a little more flirtatious at a restaurant maybe. I see him when I sit there across from him at a table. When a girl walks by, I see him do the room scan, right? Like she walks by and he kind of like he's looking at something and then looks back. But I, I know what he's doing. I know exactly what he's doing because I used to do it. And I said, man, I know what you're Don't do that. Garrett told me one time, the first looks you're... The first look's her fault. The second one's yours. And so that's what I told the guy. Stop doing that. Like, stop, stop. You know you're not supposed to do that. You know that's not lining up. You know that's stirring lust in your heart. You, you get the point, right? And, and so for some of us, uh, I don't know what that might be that you could possibly be ensnared by, but, but, but having conduct that doesn't line up with your creed, doesn't line up with what we profess that we believe. And it doesn't have to be bloodshed and violence and idolatry like it was for Israel. Um, it might be what you do with media. It might be what you look at on your computer. Uh, porn, of course, we talk about a lot. But also, I know people that just can't stop trolling for their old boyfriends on Facebook. Or just seeing what everybody's up to. Or clicking on that, 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 that link to that story that you know is going to be a little sketchy. And you know it's going to have pictures. And you know it's going to... It's not a porn website, but you know you shouldn't click. And you click there anyway. Or that ad on the side. There's things that we do where we know that's not lining up with what I truly believe. What TVs and movies we watch. What I listen to. The conversations I have at work with some of my close friends. Or even worshiping success and money and wealth and fame and what people think of me. So what is it for you? Are there any areas of your life right now where your creed and your conduct aren't aligned in the midst of community? So that's the problem of bad religion. When we're going through the motions of Christianity, singing the songs, going to church, but not living it out Monday through Saturday. Now, let me give one disclaimer. So that's a problem uh, of bad religion. We're about to move to the pathway out of bad religion. Let me give you one disclaimer, and then we'll go to the pathway out of bad religion. I'm not talking about committing sins right here. Garrett said in the training hour this morning, he said, don't think so much about perfection as direction. Not so much about perfection as direction. I had a friend tell me, don't take your spiritual temperature every day. Because if it's a bad day, you're going to feel real bad about where you're at. Look at your life over the last five years, the last decade, where God's brought you from and the trajectory you're on. And so I'm not talking about committing sins as much as I'm talking about being committed to your sins. There's a difference. 
Not talking about committing sins, which we all make mistakes, we all make bad decisions, we all do stuff that we regret. Not talking about committing sins, I'm talking about being committed to your sin. To where you are choosing that because deep down you love it. And we can't get out of that cycle and I keep running back to it. We're all going to have sins and we need to invite others into our lives to help us struggle well through those. One of my favorite singer-songwriters has a, call, a song called Crooked Deep Down. The opening line of Crooked Deep Down is, uh, My life looks good, I do confess, you can ask anyone. But just don't ask my real good friends because they will lie to you. Or worse, they'll tell the truth. So My life looks good, I do confess, you can ask anyone. But just don't ask my real good friends because they will lie to you. Or worse, they'll tell the truth. And so, so those things are, are true in all of us. We make dis- decisions we regret, we have mistakes. But again, there's a difference between committing sins and being committed to your sins, where you're loving and choosing sin as a way of life. All right, so, so what's the solution? What's the way out? What's the pathway out of this? If that's the problem of bad religion, how in the world do we get out of this? In Amos, we see a solution. So go back to Amos. We're still in chapter 5. God offers Israel a way out here. He explains what it's going to look like for them to set things straight. Again, remember the context. They are, they're worshiping, they're singing songs, they're bringing offerings, they're, they're, they're doing all the things God told them to do, but God says, I hate it because you're oppressing people, because you're abusing people, because you're using people for your own gain and advantage. And so what's he do? If you look at chapter 5, uh, in the first half of the chapter, he is going to give basically a threefold directive to them. He's on three different occasions. If you study through chapter 5, if you guys read it, you may have noticed three different times that God says, seek something so that you may live. He says, three, seek this so that you may live. Seek this so that you may live. Seek this so that you may live. Three times. Here they are. Chapter 5, verse 4. For thus says Yahweh to the house of Israel, seek me and live. That's your first one. Seek me and live, God says to Israel. And then he says, do not seek Bethel. Do not enter into Gilgal. Uh, they had basically rival worship centers set up at Bethel and Gilgal that they weren't supposed to have. They were, they were supposed to worship in, in Jerusalem, not there. So, so God, uh, they had these, these basically sanctuaries that God hadn't uh, blessed. And, and so they are going there to worship. And so God says, don't go there. Don't go to your idols. Don't go to Bethel. Seek me. Seek God so that you may live. Verse 6 is our second one. Seek Yahweh so that you may live. Seek Yahweh, seek the Lord, so that you may live. And then in the verses that follow, he he says who he is. is, I am the God who made the stars and the the Pleiades and Orion. I made the constellations. I I am the God who created all of this. But yet yet you're oppressing people. So seek me, seek Yahweh, so that you may live. And then the third one we see in verse 14. Seek good and not evil so that you may live. And so Yahweh, the God of hosts, will be with you as you have said. Hate evil, love good, and establish justice in the gate. It may, uh, it may be that the Lord, the God of hosts, will be gracious to the remnant of Joseph. So did you catch that? He says, in this third one, he says, hate evil, love good, establish justice in the gate. Hate and love here don't just have uh, emotional connotations of something you might hate or love, but the idea here is is the aspect of choosing, that they involve a decision. God, through Amos, is instructing the Israelites to choose and to delight in doing what is good and doing what is right. They must choose to be obedient. They must 
choose to live like they're supposed to. They must choose to have their conduct and their creed align in the midst of their community. He says, establish justice in the gate. Again, that's where councils met and judges said, and there's so much injustice. They were taking bribes and denying justice to the needy. Now, now here's what's interesting about this. Take a step back. Here's what's interesting about this. We might expect those first two things. We might expect for God to say the way out is seek me and to seek God. So seek, seek me, seek the Lord, seek Yahweh. We might expect those two. What, what we might not expect is that third one, where God says, seek good and not evil so that you may live. But this is exactly what he says. And here's the point. Part of the pathway out. So if the problem of bad religion, we have this dead religion that we're just going through the motions, part of the pathway out has to do with God desiring justice and righteousness. He says it here in four, uh, chapter 5, verses 4 and 15. Love good, establish justice. But then, get this, he repeats it again, and we stop just short of this, but look at chapter 5, verse 24. Chapter 5, verse 24. This is, this is on the front of your bulletin. Uh, this is the, the verse right after. If you look at what came right before it, that's what we started with. This, this is where God says, look, I, I hate your songs are noise. I hate your, I'm not going to accept your offerings. I hate everything you're doing. God gives them all of that. And then look in verse 24. He says, but I hate your worship service. I hate everything you're doing. But here's the way out. Let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. That's a contrast. This is the way you're living, and I hate it, but let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Does that sound familiar? Have you heard that anywhere outside of, of the context of your Bible? Anybody know where, where that's quoted famously? It's a famous speech in the 60s. Martin Luther King Jr. I, is, I have a dream speech quotes Amos chapter 5 verse 24. In his context, in his day, he looked around and saw a lot of people going to church. But he saw, also saw a lot of people oppressing people and crushing the needy. And he says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever. You think he just liked that verse? I think he knew the context. And this is the context of the past. It's true in the 760s AD. It's true in the 1960s B, uh, opposite 760s BC and, and the, the, the 1960s AD, the exact same thing, the exact same problem. And so don't miss this. Don't, don't miss this. It is God's focus on justice and righteousness in Amos that illumines just what God was after when he said, seek me. He didn't mean simply Bible reading. He didn't mean simply prayer. He didn't mean simply going to church. He didn't mean simply uh, uh, having your quiet time. How do I know God didn't mean that? When God said, look, Israel, seek me, how do I know he meant more than Bible reading, church, prayer, and offerings? Because that's exactly what they were doing. And God said, I hate it. So for him to say, seek me, it's got to mean more than just those things. God was sending a very clear message to Israel that their relationship to him was directly related to the relationships with other people. Do you get that? God was telling Israel, look, your relationship with me, this vertical relationship, is directly linked and directly related to your relationship with others and to your whole life. So it's not just Sunday morning, though that is essential, and that is where you are going to grow, that's where you're going to develop, that's where God wants you committed and a member, and, and so you can, you can uh, encourage one another and build one another. God wants you here, but our, our, our Christian lives are more, it's, it's all of our lives, it's our whole week. And that is what he's telling them there. And again, Lest we think this is just an old, this New Testament teaches the exact same thing. 
Jesus says you can't expect, in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't expect forgiveness unless you've done what? Forgiven. Jesus says also in the Sermon on the Mount, don't present an offering unless you've done what? Reconciled with your brother before you do it. John says in 1 John 3, whoever withholds material goods from his brother cannot have a genuine relationship with God. Whoever withholds material goods from his brother cannot have a genuine relationship with God. Peter, husbands out there, Peter says a husband who doesn't treat his wife with respect will have his prayers hindered. You feel like there's a ceiling on your prayers right now? It might be because you're disrespecting your wife. And so I want to point this out because a lot of times we think it's just about me and Jesus. It's just about me. It's just, it's just, and, and God is telling Israel, and I think he tells us, no, it's more than that. My relationship with God it runs through my relationship with y'all. And, and, and to the members at First Evangelical Church in Memphis, where Kim and I belong. That, that, that I need you and you need me and we, we exist in this together. And so it is clear in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, that my relationship with God is linked with my relationship with you. And so if you ask me how I'm doing, I, I, the old me, if you would ask me how I'm doing, I would typically evaluate that solely by me. Hey, Jason, how you doing? Oh, well, I had a quiet time this morning and prayed. I'm doing good. I, I can no longer think that way. Because if, if my wife Kim isn't doing good, I'm not doing good. I don't care if I'm a quiet time. I don't care if I prayed that day. If she's not doing good, I'm not doing good. If there's a brother in my Sunday school class at church who is hurting and who is stuck in sin and who is struggling, I don't care how many quiet times I've had. I am in pain because he's in pain. And that is the life in the church that we do this together. That it is not just me. It's not Jesus and me. It's Jesus and we. That's the message in Amos. That's the message to us as well. And so for us, the pathway out is the same. If you find yourself with a problem of bad religion where your creed and your conduct aren't aligned in the midst of community, this is your pathway out. Seek God, yes, but also seek good. Seek God, yes, but also seek good. Your conduct must align with your creed in the context of community. So we seek God, but some of us need to redefine what it means to seek God. You cannot seek God alone. It's an impossibility. You cannot seek God alone. So imagine someone in this situation. This is very typical down in the South, maybe here as well. You have a Christian who just feels like they're going through the motions, really. They go to church because that's what you're supposed to do. Um, it's good to make, you know, meet people and network for business, maybe. Um, you might read a psalm every now and then over breakfast or flip to the, in the concordance to anger or lust when you're feeling particularly sinful. And, and we're just trying to be good girls and boys. Um, but fairly often, the way that we look at, at school or the way we work at, look at work, the way we look in uh, our private uh, lives and our homes or the way we look at a party doesn't line up with what we claim we truly believe as Christians. And so we keep coming to church, we keep singing the songs, we keep praying, we keep having our quiet times, we keep doing all that. And then we read something like Amos 5, and the nauseating fact hits me that, wait, maybe God's upset with my worship itself. Well, how do I get out? Well, I just need to read the Bible more and pray more and keep going to church and keep doing I'm in a cycle. Because that's the only way I've defined how to seek God is through my personal individual pursuits. And so we've got to shatter that. We've got to break out of that. And and I've got to realize that for me to seek God isn't just me going to church and me praying and me uh, reading my Bible and me doing it, but that is us doing it together. 
and, and is me seeking justice and mercy and making sure my whole life lines up with everything that I say that I believe. Do you see why this is so vital? We seek God, but we cannot seek God alone. We need each other, and we need to live among each other in a way that shows that our seeking of God is genuine. This is why I've repeated over and over this morning that our creed and our conduct must align in our community. God has given us the church as the main pathway for us to pursue that. So we seek God, but seeking God necessarily involves others. It's how you treat your parents and your siblings and your grandparents. It's how you treat your neighbors. It's how you treat your girlfriend or your boyfriend. It's part of being a part of a worshiping community. It's not just an individualistic, inward, spiritual pursuit. This is the great commandment, is it not? Love God and love your neighbor. And so to close, let me, let me just give you three points here of, of, of application on the way out. Again, the, the problem is bad religion when our creed and our conduct aren't lining up in community. The pathway out is that we seek God and we seek good, which aligns our creed and our conduct. And then briefly, personal application. Uh, you've heard me say these words over and over again, so I'll, I'll use them as an outline uh, for, our, for our final application. is creed, conduct, and community. Creed, conduct, and community. Creed, we need to continue to know God more deeply and more intimately that you commit yourself to knowing Scripture and to teaching Scripture, that you steward Sunday mornings. I, I was, uh, when I was at a church in Texas, I was the uh, associate pastor to senior adults, <laughs> believe it or not, at my church. And I would meet uh, people in their 70s sometimes and say, man, I, I'd love to do discipleship. I just don't have anything to teach anybody. I'm like, what have you been doing? I've been sitting in church for 60 years. You've got plenty of stuff to teach people. Steward Sunday morning. Take notes. Meet with somebody over coffee this week and, and teach this back to them. Make it better and teach it back to them. And so, so we need to commit ourselves to, to knowing God more deeply and more intimately, to attend training opportunities here at Del Rey uh, and others that surround you. Read good books. It, it is this creed, what you know and what you believe, that's going to inform your conduct and teach you how to live. The Bible gives us a wealth of knowledge for life and godliness. Get to know God and what he has revealed to us in the Bible. So creed. Secondly, conduct. Conduct. Pursue holiness and obedience. And, and listen, if you hear legalism when I say that, please don't. Please don't hear legalism. We pursue obedience and holiness, not for approval from God, but from approval from God. Right? So, so we, don't, we, don't, we don't be obedient and, and try to be holy because we're trying to get God to like us and get God. No, God is, he already loves us, and he's already approved us if you are in Christ. And so I don't obey for approval. I obey from approval. I want to please him, and I want to look like him. Kevin DeYoung has a book uh, called The Whole and Our Holiness, which is a great read on this topic. One of my favorite lines in the book, he says, listen, the, the, the Bible has no problem with the word therefore. Meaning, he says, he says yes, grace, yes, grace. But, but the Bible says grace, 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 grace. Now, therefore, stop doing that and start doing that. Right? The Bible has no problem reasoning that way. So don't feel when you hear obedience and, and holiness that it's legalism and it's rules. It's not. It, it's living what you're supposed to look like. It's the expectation for a Christian from approval that we, we want to look like him. And, and the Bible says, yes, it's all grace, but therefore live like this. Look like Jesus. And so this conduct proclaims to the world that what we believe, our creed, has actually transformed our hearts. And then finally, community. So creed, conduct, and then finally, community. Be invested in the gathered church here at Delray Baptist or another church uh, if you're visiting. Our, our community beautifies our creed. 
Our community beautifies our created. It encourages our conduct. So commit to discipleship in your local church. Come here on Sunday mornings looking to encourage someone. Come here on Sunday mornings hoping to be challenged by a brother or sister in Christ. Spur one another on to godliness and to looking more like Jesus. And so my prayer for all of you here at Delray is the same prayer that I have for myself, that we would have true and undefiled religion, not bad religion, but true and undefiled religion, and that our creed and our conduct would align in the midst of our community. Let's pray towards that end. Father, we do ask that you would help us. This is a Christian life is a, is a struggle often of, of uh, our flesh and the world and Satan trying to tempt us and lure us away. I pray that we would uh, stand fast and remain committed to you, that we would continue to grow and to mature, that, that our hearts would be just in, inflamed with a knowledge of, of God and of love for Jesus through our gathering here and through our conversations and through our lives throughout the week. God, I pray that, 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 that what we all profess to believe, if we are in Christ and the reality in our hearts, that that would be fleshed out in our lives, that we would pursue holiness and obedience, and that we would look like Jesus. And we pray towards this end until he returns in his name. Amen. If you